This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm very excited to bring you tonight's episode. What you're about to hear, we recorded in August of 2018. If you don't know, back in the 90s, around 1997 or 98, Kevin Smith was hired by Warner Brothers to write a script to that was going to be the next Superman movie. I'm not exactly sure why they decided Kevin Smith was going to be the best uh, option for writing a movie like that because the only things that he was known for at the time was Clerks and Mallrats. So neither one of those were like big uh, action set piece superhero movies. It never ended up being made. It changed. Uh, Tim Burton was assigned to the project at one point. He wanted to go with a different script. Uh, Nicolas Cage was supposed to play Superman. I can't really remember off the top of my head who was supposed to play all the other parts. But anyway, this movie never got made. There's actually a documentary that you can watch called The Death of Superman Lives that kind of details from concept to cancellation uh, what happened with this with this story. But the script is out there. At least the first draft of the script that Kevin Smith actually wrote. It's out there on the internet. You can download it right now if you want. There's all Just Google it. There's all kinds of places. So I downloaded a copy of the script and I decided that it would be fun if we got together a group of people and we read through this script as though it were uh, a table read. Um... Kind of the original concept was to do an audio drama, but we ended up just doing a table read because we wanted to do commentary on the script as we were reading it. You know, if a, if a line struck us as funny, we wanted to be able to laugh at it and not have to go back and read the line over again to get it for a, an audio drama. So that's what we have here. And tonight I'm going to give you a part one because it's a long script. So we couldn't do it all in one show. It would have been a two and a half or three hour show. Uh, so we did part one a year ago. We had Scott Madison come and join us, which you've heard on the show before. We also had Virginia's boyfriend Shane, who co-hosts uh, Wait You've Never Seen with her. And we had Rick's wife Emily, which she had never done a podcast before. They came on. And the reason we did part one a year ago and it took us this long to get part two done is because when you've got that many people, that many busy people uh, on a show at one time, it's very hard to find time to get them all back together again. The stars have to line up just right. So we tried several times over the last year and uh, someone was busy or someone had to cancel. Sometimes, a lot of times it was me. But finally... In August of this year, we were able to get everybody back together to record the second half. So tonight, you're going to hear what we recorded last year. And then if you come back in two weeks, you will hear the conclusion of Superman Lives. So, I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to warn you that I play I play the part of Lex. I'm also the narrator. There is a lot of reading and I was trying to get a lot uh, a lot in. We were trying to get as much done in the first half as we could. So I kind of stumble over my words a few times. And I'm not going to go back and, and re-record all those lines. So 
if you hear me kind of stumbling and kind of sound like I don't know how to read a couple of times, I'm I'm rushing a little bit, and uh, I think I slowed down. I think I did a little bit better on the second the second part. So so forgive me and uh, enjoy what you can of this. I, I we had a lot of fun doing it. I hope you have a lot of fun listening to it. Write us and let us know what you think. And you know, visit us on the Facebook page. Uh, send us an email at mail at cosmicpotato.com. And I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to activate the theme music and get the show started. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs> Welcome to Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. We've got you covered with everything from Marvel to Star Wars. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Classic films, trivia games, and beyond. Move to coast and get together, have a few laughs. Now, on with the show. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Hey everybody and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. My name is Sean Ray and sitting across the virtual table from me is John Irons. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. How are you, Sean? I'm awesome and we have a full house tonight. We've got some friends on the line that you've heard before. Virginia is here. How are you? Fine. How are you? Doing great. And introduce your guest. Um, With us tonight is Shane, my boyfriend. Hello, hello. All right. Hi, doing? Shane. Oh, we're not doing that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our friend Rick is here. How are you, sir? We are Legion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, introduce your guest. Uh, for the very first time ever, my wife Emily is appearing on a podcast. Hello, everybody. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> hey there. And rounding out the panel is Scott. How are you, sir? What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> You're having fun, man. We have a fun show for you, uh, for you guys tonight. It's actually going to be the next couple of shows. I've had this idea for a spinoff that uh, I wanted to do, like a table read podcast, and we'll read like old radio show scripts and dramas and things like that, and just have a good time playing around with that stuff. But I wanted to try it out on the main show to see how it goes, you know. So tonight we're going to have a table read, and we thought it would be fun to start off with the most famous movie never made. I, I got my hands on the original screenplay. I got my hands like it's really hard. All you have to do is Google it. But uh, <laughs> I got I got like three copies. <laughs> we're, we're doing Odorowski's Dune. <laughs> the original screenplay that Kevin Smith wrote called Superman Lives. He wrote this movie back in the '90s. It was supposed to be made in 1998, and uh, it went through a lot of rewrites after this version. But uh, Smith's casting choices were. He wanted Ben Affleck to play Superman, Linda Fiorentino to play Lois Lane, Jack Nicholson to play Lex Luthor, uh, John Mahoney as Perry White, David Hyde Pierce as the Eradicator, Jason Lee as Brainiac, and Jason Mewes as Jimmy Olsen. Wow. I can agree with some of those. <laughs> that, that just puts so much more of this thing into perspective. I wish I had known that. At first. Well, after the after the uh, after the script was handed over to Tim Burton, the Tim Burton had a lot of rewrites done to it and stuff. But he was going to have uh, Nicolas Cage play Superman, 
Kevin Spacey no. was. Why? Yeah, exactly. Kevin Spacey was approached to be Lex Luthor, and of course he actually did play Lex Luthor later on. Um, the role of Brainiac was considered by Christopher Walken, Gary Oldman, and Jim Carrey. Lois Lane was going to be either Sandra Bullock, Courtney Cox, or Julianne Moore. And uh, Jimmy Olsen would have been played by Chris Rock. And, <laughs> oh my lord! And uh, and Michael Keaton would have repri- reprised his role as Batman. So uh, and as uh. weird as all that sounds, you got to look at the superhero movies that we were getting in 1998. You know, at that time we were. This was post Batman and Robin. This was after Steel and Spawn and the Phantom. You know, and CGI was real young. So they actually canceled this three weeks before it was supposed to start shooting. And there's a whole lot of story behind that. There's a, a documentary called The Death of Superman Lives that I recommend. Oh, you've got to watch it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I do. Re- I recommend it. And I also recommend going to YouTube and searching for uh, Kevin Smith's Superman Lives and just listen to his side of the story of uh, how he got involved and how he got out of it and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a really funny story. But, um, but we're going to read. Spider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the oh, spider. That's right. We're going to read the original script, and here is our cast. Um, I'm going to be Lex Luthor, and I'm going to narrate the story as well. And when I say narrate the story, I'm reading the directions, the camera directions, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Rick is going to be Elron, who is the right hand robot of uh, Brainiac, and he's also going to play Jimmy Olsen. Golly, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and a few other uh, a few other smaller roles as we go along. John will be uh, Brainiac. Yep. He will also be Deadshot, <laughs> and he will play a couple of other smaller roles as we go through. Scott will be the Eradicator. The Eradicator. Uh, Perry White, <laughs> and uh, and he will uh, have a a, a a cameo as Batman. Uh, yes. Shane will play Superman, and he will play Clark Kent. <laughs> that is correct. It won't be uh, like that, I promise. Do you have a pair of glasses to put on and take off? And I absolutely. I go full method. <laughs> Virginia is going to be Lois Lane. Yes. Uh, Emily is going to be Cat Grant, uh, the governor, and uh, Misty, and a couple of other uh, roles as we go through. So. Let me pull the script up, and we will go ahead and and start this. This is Superman Lives, yeah. written by Kevin Smith. Buckle in, folks. <laughs> <laughs> An alien craft floats through the void of space, approaching a slow-moving asteroid. Receiving uh, a signal from an alien system, but there's interference on the uh, channels. Mm, yeah. Once we get past this asteroid, it should clear up. Mm. Scott sounds like Barack Obama. <laughs> As they like to be clear. No, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> Suddenly, through the windshield, we see tentacles shoot out of the asteroid. The tentacles wrap themselves around the craft, and electrical energy courses between the pair. The asteroid reveals itself to be where the Brainiac Skull... Excuse me. The Brainiac Skull Ship, a tentacled craft... That looks like it sounds. A set of jaws protrude from a puncture in the hull of the small craft. It glows white, hot with power. Inside, we see a surgical table, its contents obscured by the shadows. Save for the back of a malformed head, computer banks and monitors are everywhere. A small robot works beside the table, 
implanting a cable into the back of the malformed head. It throws a switch. Raw energy blows through the cable, causing the patient to convulse and writhe, screaming. A metallic shaft becomes begins to reconfigure, taking the shape of an arm. We see the same happen to other parts of his body, hands, legs, facial features. The craft the skull ship holds then goes dark, the energy being sucked from it having run dry. The patient stops convulsing as the cable attached to its head ceases to glow. That was all the energy the craft yielded. The craft was a short ranger, my lord. I'm surprised that we get... Oh, God damn it. The craft was a short ranger, my lord. I'm surprised that we... That can. Oh, Can is right. a noun. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> the craft was a short ranger, my lord. I'm surprised that can had enough juice to give you this much form. We pulled 1.9 trigs out of it. There's nothing more to get. <sighs> An inaccurate assessment. In the other craft, the frightened aliens try to restart their craft. Motion detectors are picking up something breaching the hull. The doors melt. Brainiac enters. Humanoid in appearance. Green skin, black eyed, red lipped, metallic and bald. A series of metal relays crisscross his forehead. Three solid circles intersected by straight lines. The aliens reach for laser gatlings and fire. But they cause no damage. Brainiac instead grabs the weapons, jamming them into his body, consuming the lasers into his form, energizing. He drops the guns, and his hands morph into tendrils, which plunge into the chest of the terrified aliens. He absorbs their life forces, (laughs) making them husks, at which point they explode, covering the cabin in goo. Brainiac inhales, deeply charged. The tentacles of the skull ship unravel from the wrecked craft. The skull ship powers up and thrusts into the void. Brainiac watches space part before him on the view screen. Elrond joins him, holding a a containment unit. The cosmic irony, Elrond. I, who have destroyed a world, am now forced to subsist like a parasite. Once infinite power was my manifest, now look at the pride of Kolu. Feeble attempts to maintain even this meager anthropomorphic form. At least you have what passes for legs. <laughs> what did your search of the craft yield? Elrond holds up the containment jar, inside which scurries a multi-legged, fist-sized creature. <laughs> the Nagarian snare beast, infancy stage. Illegal in 16 systems due to the advanced nature of their growth patterns outside their own atmosphere. Added to the menagerie. Then a beacon sounds. On the main screen, scrambled letters and numbers appear, forming the distorted image of Lex Luthor, commanding, corporate, suave, bald, and ominous. Greetings. This message, transmitted in over 100 languages, comes to you from Earth. I am Lex Luthor, owner and CEO of LexCore, a vast and powerful conglomerate that dominates trade in this, on this planet. To whatever life form that may receive this, I extend an invitation to our world. Non-hostile and eager to establish contact with extraterrestrial races, Earth welcomes a visit from whomever receives this greeting. I myself call upon you to make contact so that we may establish relations, open trade routes, and discuss any information you might have regarding a visitor to this planet of Kryptonian descent. Mm. My days of scavenging are over, Elrond. Lock onto this transmission and follow it to this Earth he speaks of. 
What for? Joriel's most accomplished creation, Elrond. The Eradicator still exists. From one superior intellect to another, whomever or whatever you may be, I implore you to come to Earth so that we might discuss the problem we call... Superman! Friend to Earth or hindrance? Tonight we take a closer look at the Man of Steel. Does the existence of a seemingly godlike vigilante impact the world positively or negatively? Examining this with us tonight is LexCorp CEO and Metropolis's second most well-known figure, Lex Luthor. Mr. Luthor, you've been the most vocal proponent of the Wortham Act, the bill that seeks to outlaw costume vigilantes in the greater metropolitan area. Given that Superman is the sole individual who could fall under this criteria, the question begs asking, why so much distrust of the Man of Tomorrow? I'm no enemy of Superman, Ted. Quite the contrary. I find his flair for fashion and whimsical abilities very David Copperfield. Such a crowd-pleasing showman who makes Metropolis his home is a boon for the tourist trade. But I do question the good that Superman represents for the human race beyond entertainment value. Such as? Well, aiding the planet at every turn against war, famine, natural disaster for starters, it represents a complete freeze on the evolutionary process. And what what of his more immediate effects on our society? Having Superman make his home in Metropolis is a veritable call to arms for any psychotic with dreams of world domination. The Wortham Act would be a deterrent to those who might consider jumping into a pair of tights and challenging the Man of Steel to a battle royale right here on, our, on the streets of our fair city. Hmm, an interesting position, Mr. Luthor, but one that I'm sure your opposition will refute. We welcome City Beat reporter for the Daily Planet, Lois Lane. This proposed act, which even Metropolis's own Governor Bree opposes, is nothing more than Lex's one-man crusade against Superman. Outlawing the Man of Steel would be like removing the soul of this city. I mean, can anyone even remember what Metropolis was like before Superman arrived? As I recall, there were less red, white, and yellow souvenir stands. Miss Lane, have you ever been able to look past your blind allegiance to this off-worlder to think that maybe he employs criminals to prove his PR? For all we know, they're on his books. In Salem, it was a witch hunt. In Hollywood, it was the Red Scare. Leave it to your fertile imagination to come up with Cape Gate. (laughs) The vehement defense you put up for him. I'd say the only thing fertile around here is someone's hope of carrying a super brat one day. Oh, that's it. Boom. Punch him right in the face. Sorry. (laughs) Lois jumps Lex, who tumbles back in the chair. She begins laying into him as the host leans into the frame addressing the TV audience. We'll be right back. In Hobbs Bay, a small boy exits a bistro holding the hand of his mother, Governor Caitlin Bree. They are flanked by secret servicemen. Paparazzi and telejournalists, including Cat Grant, converge on them, snapping photos. Madam Governor, how was the meal? Excellent. This bistro represents the first major step in revitalization of of Metropolis's historic Hobbs Bay. Do you think the redevelopment project can change the public's perception of this area as suicide slum? If the meal was any indication, I'd say absolutely. How about it, Brody? What do you think of the the bistro's food? It was the bestest pescetti I had in my whole life. 
I want Metropolis to know that there is no danger in Hobbs Bay. Suddenly, across the street, the side of the building explodes, raining debris on the crowd. The governor covers her son. Five crudely masked thugs pour from the hole in the building, opening fire, sending people running. <laughs> then, from the still-smoking blast hole, Deadshot emerges. Clad completely in silver and red, featureless, save for the glowing red gun sight covering his right eye. The Secret Servicemen covering the governor draw their guns. Deadshot takes aim with his wrist revolvers and shoots pieces from their hands. The thugs clear a path for their leader. The governor looks up to see Deadshot standing over her. This city will not bow to terrorism of any kind. Maybe not. He drops the governor and grabs the boy by his collar. But I'm sure you will, won't you, Mom? Deadshot holds his wrist revolver to the scared boy's head. A crimson laugh echoes from behind his mask. On the Daily Planet's rooftop, we still hear Deadshot's laugh. But from someone else's perspective, a super hearing perspective, a very familiar pair of boots step to the edge of the building, then step off, disappearing in a flash of red. Back at Hobbs Bay, a sonic boom fills the air. Deadshot looks to thug number one. Oh, tell me that was your stomach. High above, a streak of red descends at a rapid rate, rocketing into the pavement, leaving a hole in the ground. Ah, shit. The street beneath their feet explodes, and the same red streak flashes past Deadshot, taking with it the boy in the blink of an eye. All immediately mobilize. Grab that broad and get up. Just get out of here. The boy is set down lightly on the roof. He opens his eyes, which then go wide. Before him stands Superman, um, 90s style, licking his hand. Mmm, spaghetti. You okay? Can we do that again? First, I gotta beat up the bad guys. My mom thinks you're cute. That's why I voted for her. Can I just add, what, was Superman licking the boy's spaghetti off of his hand? That's, that's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> there's, no, he, there's no way that ends up good. The spaghetti, he got, like, I read that as, like, the guy has spaghetti, the, the kid has spaghetti all over him. And so when Superman grabbed him, he got spaghetti on his hand. He, he could have grabbed the boy's dish and the boy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's weird. Yeah. And it's a little gross. Well, have, you, kind of gross. have you noticed we've already got tentacles, thrusting, <laughs> licking? <laughs> yeah. No, Rick, I hadn't noticed. No, it's on, it was on Kevin's. <laughs> Superman winks and leaps into the air, disappearing. Inside the van, the governor, under Deadshot's gun, thug number one revs the engine. Suddenly, through the windshield, Superman explodes up the hood of the van, adorned in engine parts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Get out there and ventilate him! Superman pulls himself from the van and hurls the engine at two of the thugs. The remaining three open fire. The bullets bounce from Superman's chest. Meanwhile, the skull ship slinks into our atmosphere. On the view screen, Brainiac and Elrond watch Superman fight the masked thugs. Ah, uh, do they all dress like that on this planet? Mm, that symbol on his chest. It's a seal of the scientific office from Krypton. It's the Kryptonian. It can't be him. Kryptonians were never known to manifest above average strength or invulnerability. Perhaps he derives his power from the Eradicator. I don't know. He's not wearing any technology. Get us to this Lex Luthor of Earth now. Back at Hobbs Bay, the bullets bounce off Superman's chest. The Man of Steel's eyes glow red. Two heat beams sear into the machine gun in the hands of one of the thugs. The gun glows red and the thug drops it. 
Superman repeats this with the remaining four thugs until they're all disarmed, waving their hands in the air to cool them. Looking as if they're waving goodbye, Superman waves goodbye back at them. Then we hear, Hey, Boy Scout! Deadshot, holding the governor, fires a single kill shot. Superman's head jerks backwards and pauses momentarily. When he brings his head forward, we see the bullet is caught in his teeth. He rocket spits the bullet out, which hits Deadshot's wrist revolver, throwing the villain's arm back away from the governor. In a flash of red, Superman is in front of Deadshot, shaking his head. Look at your outfit. What is this, Gotham? He grabs Deadshot's wrist revolver, then finger flicks the villain in the head, knocking him out. People emerge from the bistro, cheering as the terrorists are collected by the authorities. Superman dusts the governor off and nods at her. Madam Governor? He disappears in a flash and a gust of wind, (laughs) then reappears, holding the boy. Your most important constituent. Thank you, Superman. Superman blushes slightly, rubs the boy's head, and walks away. He glances down at Deadshot's wrist revolver. From Superman's X-ray vision point of view, we see first the weapon, then through the weapon and into the components that make it tick. Zoom in on a set of microscopic serial numbers etched into a tiny chip. What a shock. Luther. The wrist revolver explodes in his hands. He drops it to the ground, where it continues to burn. Lex exits the GBS building, flanked by Misty, his gorgeous but lethal bodyguard. He holds a small ice pack to his cheek. I can't believe the bitch tagged me. What do I pay you for? Then Jimmy Olsen shows up out of breath. He looks at Lex, panting, then nods to Luther's shiner. (laughs) Superman? (laughs) It was the Joker, Jimmy. He was mad that Luther stole his act. I thought journalists were supposed to be impartial. I thought humanitarians were supposed to be human. Care to comment? Pithy to the last. Lex hurries to his limo. Pithy? Who uses that word anymore? Chief wants you back at the planet, Miss Lane. Something big just broke out in Hobbs Bay. Superman? There and gone. In the limo, Lex puffs his cigar, sipping brandy from a snifter. He clicks on the TV news, which shows Superman at Hobbs Bay. Lex goes white-hot and wide-eyed with rage. Up front, Misty rolls her eyes. Lex exits his limo and marches bitterly toward the LexCorp building, followed by Misty. Six months of planning, and all for nothing. With Governor Bree in line, I could have taken back control of the city from that, that alien. In the elevator, Metropolis is shrinking behind him. Lex watches the digital number rise, seething. Then the elevator stops abruptly. Misty catches Lex, setting him upright again. Suddenly, the hatch at the top of the elevator is ripped off, a blue-clad arm reaching in, pulling Lex out. Fifth floor, hair care products. One of these days, they're going to pass the worth of Mac. And then, one of these nights, I'll be able to blast your pajama-clad ass out of the sky, legally. Speaking of acts of violence, did you hear the one about Hobbs Bay? See, this guy wants to get his anti-Superman bill passed. So he hires a few masked goons to threaten the governor to speed the bill along. But then, here's the punchline. He's got such a big ego, he demands that a serial number from his company show up somewhere on the hardware he provided his hired mercenaries, thus implicating him in a federal offense. Isn't that a gutbuster? I'm putting you behind bars. No proof. Loaded hardware with self-destructs triggered by the radiation waves of your x-ray vision. 
then maybe I should save the courts of Metropolis the time, make myself judge, jury. Superman hooks his foot under a bar on the elevator and starts towing the car up the shaft an alarm- at an alarmingly fast rate. An especially executioner. Luther looks up, the fast approaching top of the shaft, jagged and deadly. If his head so much as touches it, he's a dead man. Lex panics. At the top of the shaft, as the top of the shaft gets closer, Superman nonchalantly checks the nails on his free hand. <laughs> the ceiling gets closer. Let me say that again without laughing. Lex panics. At the top of the shaft, as the top of the shaft gets closer, Superman nonchalantly checks the nails of his free hand. The ceiling gets closer. <laughs> Lex jams his eyes shut. Then Superman stops, thus stopping the car as well. Luther's head is a half inch from a nasty spike. He opens his eyes slowly, looking from the spike to Superman. You're hardly worth the effort. He drops Lex and disappears in a burst of red. At the Daily Planet, the globe spins atop Metropolis's once largest skyscraper. Lex built his bigger. All the windows are dark except for one. And through it, we see Lois, alone at her desk, types on her laptop. In the midst of the tapping, her fingers create against the keys. Another pitch of tapping joins in. Lois spins around to see Superman floating outside the window. Lois trips over a desk or two, rushing to the window. Superman! Evening, Miss Lane. Late night? I'm just filing my piece on Hobbs Bay. Nice bit of work there. Is this Mr. Kent's desk? This is Mr. Kent's fastidiously immaculate workstation. I call it Smallville Central. He's not around tonight? Thankfully, no. If I had to withstand Clark Kent day and night, I'd be at my therapist twice a week as opposed to once. Doesn't take super senses to detect a little friction there. Not a fan of Mr. Kent, Miss Lane? Clark's Clark, you know, he's great and all, don't get me wrong, but he is kind of a Dudley do-right. It's hard for me to relate to a man like that. Why's that? Well, Superman, I'm not into all that Kansas Boy Scout babble. I'm the kind of woman who likes a man in tights. And, and Lois plants one on Superman, long and passionate. Superman, mm. breaks, <laughs> Superman breaks the kiss and steps back. Miss Lane, I have something to tell you. He pulls Clark's glasses from his cape and slips them on. I'm really Clark Kent. Lois goes wide-eyed and faints. Superman <gasps> rushes forward and catches her. Then she opens her eyes and shakes her head. Really, Clark? Must we go through this every night? They kiss. He brings her back to her feet. Nice job with the bad guys, babe. I was proud of you. Smallville Central? Who calls it that? Try everybody, Clark. Even Jimmy. I loaned that kid 20 bucks last week. Ungrateful slacker. How about dinner? Not Burger King again. Let's just eat at my place. Why, Miss Lane, you underestimate me. I was thinking more... a monumental dinner. Lex's office. The nerve center of LexCorp. A bank of monitors with a vast array of channels adorn one wall over which hangs an alarmingly increasing digital readout titled Acres of LexCorp Cleared Rainforest. In the center of the room, a monolithic desk backlit by a large picture window. Misty sits on the couch, reading a magazine. Lex enters, fuming, covered in grease. He picks up his hand. You know what? It just, I just realized, I, I put Emily down as... I don't think Misty ever says anything. 
<laughs> I just realized she's in the script a lot, but I don't think she ever says anything. Maybe some grunts. Here. <laughs> she probably says a lot. It's just all with facial features. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask. Just draw me a bath. Misty heads off for the huge sunken marble tub at, in, at the far end of the office and runs the water while Lex crosses to his desk. He passes the bank of TVs, all of which detail Superman's Hobbs Bay Endeavor. He pours himself a drink and sits, not noticing Elrond resting atop the desk. Greetings! Bomb! Grabbing the robot, Lex charges by Misty and hurls Elrond into the tub. He dives into the floor, hands over his head, awaiting the blast. After a beat, he looks up. Elrond slowly rises from the tub. It discharges water and its circuits from its circuits and sputters. Go with entrance, B. Then the picture window explodes. Brainiac glides in, godlike, much to Luther's shock. Misty leaps in front of her boss slash lover as the as the alarms sound. Lex Luthor of Earth, I am Brainiac. A pair of LexCore soldiers burst through the doors. Kill it! The soldiers open fire at Brainiac. He absorbs the bullets, pulls his energy suck maneuver from the first scene. Lex and Misty stare, wide-eyed. I come... Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, that's you, John. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) I have come to discuss the Kryptonian you mentioned in your homing message. Clean up what's left of those guys. This technology. Brainiac sharply rises, raises his hand between he and Lex. Lex startles a bit as Brainiac's hand then reconfigures into something that he inserts into the computer. Downloading sounds are heard as Brainiac cocks his head as if sampling wine. Hmm. Lex Tech Prime, my computer's division, builds these things. It's the most cutting edge, the most sophisticated, the most primitive, ancient. Brainiac extracts his appendage, which reconfigures anew. Yes, well, you obviously know whereof you speak. This Kryptonian you mentioned, I know of him as well. Unit 9, full display. The images on the monitor align into one single visual of Superman in action from earlier that day. He's my mortal enemy. The object of my ire, the... You're not a friend of his by any chance, are you? Hmm. Where I come from, we destroy that which impedes our progress. Why have you not done the same? Kill Superman? Look, I've done... Excuse me. Kill Superman? Look, I've had everyone who was ever a thorn in my side done away with. From my third grade teacher to to my third wife. Nothing eases friction like pow. You know what I'm saying? Superman would have been dead as white weddings if it weren't for the fact that he's from Krypton, whatever the hell that is. Which means he can't be killed. I watched Krypton die screaming, Lex Luthor. Invulnerable is something its inhabitants were not. Is he aided by technology of some sort? A machine? Far as we can tell, Pinocchio has no strings. Hmm. And it's his chemistry. It must be affected by this planet. Radioactive shards of our destroyed homeworld would be toxic to his system. Kryptonite. Brainiac whirls back. 
I've spent so, the last excuse me. I've spent the last two years and millions of LexCord dollars trying to synthesize the stuff. You know what it yielded? Lex reaches into a drawer and pulls out a pottery shell covered in mossy grass. The Chia Pet. One of LexCore's long-range goals, a solar conductor. One of these days, this puppy's going to make me a multi-billionaire, going to draw energy directly from the sun's surface and sell it to the masses. Brainiac presses something on the model, and huge gun turrets pop up, excuse me, pop out with accompanying cannons. Lex smiles. That's the long, long-range goal, a massive solar-powered cannon. We're thinking concentrated sunbeams might fry a hole through the Man of Steel. It's a stretch, but the guy's got to have a dream. Blasting him with a solar beam will only enhance his power. This world is fueled by the light of a yellow sun, is it not? Last time I checked, why? Krypton 2 was fueled by a sun. A red sun. The actual construct of this, it's, it's operational. Maybe in 20 years, but for what it's worth, it's up there already. Surrender it. Surrender it to me. I'll augment it with my own technology. Provide me with this. You will not only have your solar conductor 20 years ahead of schedule, but this Superman will be POW, as you say. All the capital, material, and technologies of my company are at your service. If you can kill Superman, you accomplish that, and to this planet's inhabitants, I'll make you a god. Does Lex get Australia? <laughs> is is Miss T Miss T like Miss Tessmacher? No, it's it's just Misty. Yeah, I yeah, know, but that misty. would that would be that would be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I would imagine that Smith was making an homage at that point. I think yeah yes. yeah. <laughs> and if you you know what as you were as you were reading Lex's uh, screed about that the one that ended with the. Uh, uh, from Krypton, whatever that is, yeah. Read read that in your mind sometime with Jason Muse's voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the LexTech Dynamics control room, Mister Luther, you can't do this. Who pays the bills here, Schuster? I want the solar conductor reconfigured to these coordinates. But it's not durable enough to travel this far out of Earth's orbit. Lex nods to Misty, who puts the kibosh on Schuster dropping her to the floor. Lex glares at the technician who feverishly works at his computer. I would never presume to tell you your business, but it seems you're trading one alien for another. Misty, you can talk. Never trust anyone with the stones (laughs) who call himself Brainiac. I equipped that rocket we gave him with a diagnostic scanner that'll give me a complete breakdown of what makes him and his technology tick. And when we have that, LexCorp will be the most powerful corporation in the world. Because Superman will be gone? Because I'll have harnessed the capabilities of an artificial intelligence so advanced it can hold a conversation with people. Not to mention the computers that make up the defense system of every NATO nation on Earth. An extortion racket? The extortion racket, my dear. In space, the solar conductor powers up. It rockets deeper into the stars. We pan down from those stars to see, at Mount Rushmore, a nice view of the presidentially sculpted mountain. On top of Washington's head, we see a small fire burning. Clark and Lois sit on a blanket, looking out over the vista. There is a campfire going, 
and the remnants of their dinner lay strewn about the open picnic blanket. Lois sips wine from a glass. Clark drinks orange juice. Monumental. You're such a goof. Thank Pa for that. He was the punster of the family. Ma's the one who taught me how to cook, though. Ma also teach you how to reheat chicken with your eyes? Some things a boy has to learn on his own. Did it ever bother you being the adopted child, never knowing your real parent? If I ever did, it was only because I couldn't help but feel my destiny might have been stolen from me. How so? I'd start wondering what I was supposed to do in life, what it would be like if Krypton hadn't, you know, who are my parents? Would I have left the planet? Would I have come to Earth? Would I have ever met you? No, but you'd probably still read me. You'd say to yourself, if I could only be half the writer this lowest lane of the planet Earth is. <laughs> I know it sounds silly. Where do I get off complaining? Me, the guy who's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive. What's the other one? Something about tall buildings. Right. All that aside, I'm, I'm just a person, you know? I have what-ifs like everyone else. But if I'd grown up under a red sun, never had these powers... Who would save me again and again and again? Somehow I doubt you have trouble getting along without me. Trouble? No. Fun? Yes. They kiss deeply as we cut to the skull ship. Brainiac and Elrond watch the solar conductor on their view screen. Launch the hybrid technology. Elrond presses a button on the control panel. <laughs> technology, extremely well alien in appearance, fills the cargo hold. It begins vibrating, then explodes, growing out of the smoke. It spreads throughout the cargo hold and out the rocket seams. It consumes the rocket from within, covering in a biometallic, covering it in biometallic tendrils. Can we go tentacles of, again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the midst of the solar conductor. An Earth-made rocket labeled LexTech 37. 37 in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Grows white hot with energy. Then lasers burst from it on all sides, striking and bouncing off the mirrors of the solar conductor, creating a net along the miles-wide diameter. The net begins to slowly prevent sunlight from passing through. The light that shone on Earth now fades slightly as Brainiac's Shadowcaster goes to work. Back at Mount Rushmore, Clark doubles over slightly as if suddenly woozy. He writes himself and shakes it off, smiling. Indigestion. Maybe I didn't cook the chicken long enough. You know what I was just thinking about? The rocket, the one you told me brought you to Earth. Whatever happened to it? It's at the uh, fortress. Ah, the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Do you ever study it? try to learn something more about where you came from about your parents even i know all i'm ever gonna know there was a planet it blew up end of story i'd rather dwell on the present and the future which is something i like to talk to you about no no let's talk about flying home and going to bed we both have work tomorrow why do you always get like this when I try to talk about our relation, where our relationship is going? All I'm saying is that I love you. And I love you, too. And I'd like to talk about something more permanent. Lois's eyes go wide. She stares at him for a beat, then looks down. You know, the first time I heard about you, I thought you were a hoax. 
Flying man stunned city, the paper said. Yeah, right, I said. But then I saw you land that down shuttle on your back. And in that moment, every jaded bone in my body believed that a man could fly. The first time I met you as Clark, I thought you were the squarest tick to ever escape Kansas. But when you called me Miss Lane, you were so polite and even gallant that you made me feel like a princess. The first time you told me about, well, about your other job, there was a moment of shock, and then it all made sense. Who else but Clark Kent could care so much about people he didn't even know? And the first time we kissed, I knew it was you. You were the person I'd stopped believing in years before, the one my mother told me about. And the first time you left me in the middle of the night, to rescue that luxury. I'm sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. Sorry. And the first time you left me in the middle of the night to rescue that luxury liner, I knew that you didn't belong to me. You belonged to the world. She steps back and looks at him. Lois. Your responsibilities are huge. I can't possibly expect you to divide your time between a wife and the world. What about children, if that's even possible? I can slow down, pace myself. And feel the weight of a death you couldn't prevent because you were too busy bringing the kids to the video store? <laughs> oh, now we know it was made in the <laughs> Lois shakes her head sadly. Clark's eyes are downcast, her words truer than he could bear. There's nothing I'd want more than to share a life with you, but I won't settle for a half-life. Clark takes it in somberly. Then he lifts his head as if listening to something far away. The plane's in trouble over Paraguay. Lois? Go ahead. Just don't forget to come back for me. Clark becomes a blur, then turns into Superman. He leaps off the cliff. In space, the Shadowcaster seals off a large section of sunlight. Suddenly, Superman is struck as if shot. He falters in midair, and he falls against the edge of the cliff. Lois shrieks and grabs his hand, Ah! catching him in the nick of time. Superman looks up at her wide-eyed. He throws his other hand up to Lois. She digs her heels into the ground and pulls as Superman climbs up to the safety of the level ground. He collapses to his hands and knees, breathing heavily. Lois is on top of him, checking his pulse, feeling his head. God, Clark, are you okay? What happened? Was it kryptonite? It wasn't a toxic reaction. It, it it was it was something else. We gotta get you home. I'll be okay. That plane won't if I don't leave now. Are you out of your mind? You almost fell off a cliff, Clark. You. Superman gently extracts his cape from her grip, touching her face, then lifts her, then lifts off the ground, hanging there, apparently back to normal. He shrugs at her, then disappears in a flash of red, leaving behind a worried Lois. In the skull ship control room, Brainiac punches some buttons, and the specs on the Eradicator fill the screen. But how do you know the Eradicator will even show up? It's been years, my liege. The technology could be ancient history by now. The menagerie doors hiss open, and they enter the vast menagerie, a zoological collection of various species collected during Brainiac's journey through the cosmos. Brainiac heads to one in particular, a knee-high translucent tube, filled with what looks like contents of a lava lamp. Brainiac opens the case, extracting an embryonic protoplasmic life form. It looks harmless, if ugly. Letting out a meager yowl, he places it into a missile-looking tube, sealing it closed. Jor-El was no fool. 
He would not have sent his only child to an alien world without the protection of the Eradicator. The technology is out there, Elrom, and absorbing it will provide me with enough power to both maintain my body permanently and make me a god. Right, let's kill the cape! (laughs) A hole opens in the wall and Brainiac slides the tube into it. He pushes a large button on the panel. The tube rockets from the rear of the ship and heads toward Earth. In Metropolis Park, the capsule rockets into the atmosphere and pierces the ground, embedding itself deep within the Earth, unseen. For those of you who don't know, because this is going back a few years now, back in like 96, 97, at one point I was commissioned by Warner Brothers to write a script for a new Superman movie. And how it came about, I think, was that somebody saw Mallrats, somebody at Warner Brothers, some studio exec, and was just like watched Brody and, and T.S. talk about the kryptonite condom. And they were like, this guy seems to know a lot about Superman. <laughs> so I got called in for, for a meeting at Warner Brothers, and um, they uh, said, there's a couple of projects that uh, you can rewrite, because at this point, the script for Chasing Amy had started to circulate, and people were like, oh, he can write after all. Finally, I got to the guy at the top, who was Lorenzo de Bonaventura. Now there's like six to eight guys sitting around a large table with Lorenzo at the one end and me at the other. And they're all like, tell him, tell Lorenzo what you told us about Superman. And so I launch into my spiel and shit. And Lorenzo's the first guy who's like, well, what would you do differently? And I said, um, well, I thought about it, but I mean, I guess you could try this, 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 and that, and that. And he's nodding and shit. And he's like, well, you know what? We're going to give you a shot at it. And I said, all right, awesome. And he goes, it's pending approval of the producer. I said, who's the producer? And they said, John Peters. Now, John Peters, if you don't know, uh, he's a producer on movies. Like, he, he was an exec producer, or producer in name only on Rain Man. He was a producer on Batman. Um, he was a producer on the main event, the Barbra Streisand boxing movie. <laughs> Which is how he got his start in the business. He used to be Barbra Streisand's hairdresser. And then one day, he became a producer. Because in Hollywood, you just kind of fail upwards. <laughs> So I come down and sit down with him. He says, they tell me you got to take on Superman. I said, I, I do. He said, let me hear it. And I told him. After a while, I'm done. He's just nodding, looking at me, nodding. And he goes, you know why you and me are going to do a good job on Superman? And I said, why? He's going, because you and me, we get Superman. You know why? I said, no. He said, because you and me, we're from the streets. <laughs> Now, I, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. Never saw a black man until I was about 28. Like, I'm the farthest thing from the streets there are. You know, I, I grew up on a street. But not on the streets. So I said, uh, who would you see playing Superman? And he said, I, if I had to cast it right now? I said, well, yeah. And he said, Sean Penn. And I was like... Spicoli? Because <laughs> it was an interesting choice. And he's like, yeah, did you see, you see Dead Man Walking? Because that was out at the time. And I said, yeah. And he's going, well, look in his eyes in that movie. He's got the eyes of a violent, caged animal. And I was like, dude, it, it's Superman. He's like, I got some directives for you. If you're going to move forward on the process, some things I want you to do and don't in the script. He's going, three things. Okay. I said, all right. He's going, one, I don't want to see him in that suit. Two, I don't want to see him fly. 
And three, he's got to fight a giant spider in the third act. (laughs) The giant spider intrigues me. (laughs) Why, uh, why that? And he's like, do you know anything about spiders? And I said, I mean, no. And he said, well, they're the fiercest killers in the insect kingdom. everybody, this is Ming Chen from Auntie's Comic Book Men. My favorite podcast, even better than my own, even better than all of Kevin's, even better than that Mark Marin guy or that Joe Rogan or the Nerdist. Screw all of them. It's all about Cosmic Potato, everybody. Listen, love it, and then listen again. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet. One more time, Olsen, in English, please. How did we get these shots again? Like I said, Chief, I'm wired! Clark and Lois sitting in front of Perry's way too busy desk, watching Jimmy flicking... Flicking? <laughs> watching Jimmy <laughs> clicking on a mouse pad, Perry White, the planet's venerable old editor, watches, befuddled. I'm linked to thousands of other photojournalists around the world. We exchange images all the time! Jump in the cyber pool with the rest of us, Mr. White. And, and we're allowed to run these pictures? Free and clear with a photo credit. Give the kid a break, Perry. He's all about the paper. Lois, my office. My office. Lois works here under the assumption that it's hers as well. Eat it, Smallville. Uh, All right, Olsen. You can keep your computer thing up. Now, vamoose. Jimmy shuffles by Lois, who pats him on the back. Perry slumps in his chair. (sighs) Down to brass tacks. What have either of you got? A top Lextech scientist, uh, Dr. Schuster, went missing last night. I got a call from a technician who said that Schuster and Lex got into a heated argument over the altered trajectory of that Lextech experimental space station. The one Lex has yet to disclose the purpose of to NASA? What else? The boys in weather fed me this one. Seems that Dawn was 11 minutes behind schedule this morning. Cause? Unsubstantiated rumors of something spotted by the fellas up at the observatory. Sounds like a story up Smallville's alley. I believe Mr. White gives us the assignments here, Miss Delaney. Don't call me that. Then don't call me Smallville. The phone rings. Perry bounces on pounces on it. <laughs> <laughs> White. White, go. What? I'll be right there. Both of you, stay here and hash out who gets the space thing. I'll be right back. Perry storms out of his office, leaving Clark and Lois alone. There is some silence, and then... I'm sorry I didn't stay over last night. I'm an adult, Clark. I'm not throwing a hissy just because you missed my sleepover. I'm having a hard time understanding what I said that was so wrong. You didn't say anything wrong, Clark. You said... Everything a woman spends her whole life waiting for a man to say to her. Then why reaction? Why why this this distance? Because you're not a man, Clark. You're a god. Clark attempts to say something. Mm -hmm. He listens to seemingly nothing. Lois looks at him, puzzled. What is it? 
Journalists look up from their keyboards as the room begins to shake. Lois looks slightly panicked. Clark unbuttons his collar. Earthquake? Can't be. I checked the crustal plates just last month. Meanwhile, in the sewers, at a dank and dripping cross-section, a pair of sewer workers check a pipe that's broken loose. The tunnel begins to shake violently, and the sewerage begins bubbling. The workers look at it, then head for the manhole. Suddenly, something erupts from the muck, looming huge in the shadows behind the fleeing workers. Whatever it is pulls them beneath the sewage. Suddenly, am I the only one that imagined the Golgothan here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he probably would have got to reuse that puppet. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, at the park, the ground explodes, throwing passerby flying, leaving a six-foot crater. Back at the Daily Planet, there's a report of an explosion in the sewer beneath Metropolis Park. We're on it, Chief. The stairwell door flies open, and Lois and Clark rush in. Lois slams the door closed behind her. Sounds like a job for her. I want you to do me a favor. Whatever you do, stay away from Metropolis Park. I've got a bad feeling about this. I've got a good feeling that whatever it is, is news. And me being a journalist... Lois, no. Last night, the cliff... You slipped, Clark. That's all. But it happened when I was... When I grabbed the plane, too. Something didn't... Didn't feel right. My, my strength... Just please, stay put until I know everything's all right. Go find a phone booth. Clark dashes away, taking stairs two at a time, then five. In the blur that travels at more human and more than human speed, down flight after flight, the colors that emerge from the gray of Clark's suit are the familiar blue and red. Through the planet's revolving doors shoot the Man of Steel, creating a sonic boom in his wake, sending the papers, trash, and hair of Metropolitans flying. Moments later, Superman arrives at the crater. He looks into the darkness, then hears something above. The Shadowcaster seals off another section of the sun. Superman looks down, then up. He's about to leap into the air to investigate the sound from above. Suddenly, two gray, meaty meaty paws erupt from the earth, pulling Superman underground. Superman emerges from the muck into the sewer tunnel, spitting out waste. Ew. (laughs) He wipes his eyes clean and looks up to see an an unearthly monster, ferocious and gray in appearance. Leathery skin pockmarked with rock-like protrusions. Doomsday has arrived. The beast leaps at the Man of Steel. The pair begin their fight, throwing punches and kicks. Doomsday grabs Superman by the cape and swings him through the side of the tunnel. Doomsday pulls aside concrete, giving himself a clear passage into the other tunnel. When Superman appears from nowhere, uppercutting the tremendous beast, sending him flying through the crater into the park. Superman shoots out of the hole behind him, landing beside the beast. Clear out of here now! Doomsday kicks Superman in the back, but Superman rallies. In the skull ship on the main screen, we see the combatants fighting. He's incredible! He just keeps going! I call it Doomsday. Not that thing! Superman! Look at him battle! I wouldn't lay wages on the Kryptonian just yet. Meanwhile, the Shadowcaster goes full throttle, completely cutting off what little sunlight was seeping out. In Metropolis, the sun, eclipsed by Brainiac's device, disappears, plunging the earth and the city into darkness of moonlight. At the Daily Planet, Lois and Jimmy watch from the windows. The city room's in a panic. Perry joins them. Hey, it's only noon. What's going on with the sun? This just came in from government weather satellites. The photos show the Shadowcaster in its dormant and operative mode. 
I can only hope Kent's out there covering this. The same place you should be, Lois. Although, from a safe distance. But, Chief, I promised. Olsen, you go with her. I want some candids of whatever that thing is Superman's fighting. I'm on it. <sighs> Damn it, sorry. I'm on it, Chief. Come on, Miss Lane. And hurry. If I know the Man of Steel, this rumble's going to be over before it's started. At the park, Superman takes a hit from Doomsday and goes stumbling backwards. He pauses and notices the fading sunlight. Then it dawns on him his power source is being cut off. Doomsday plows into him. Superman fights back valiantly, but knows that he's being depleted. He begins to falter. Doomsday grabs him and hurls Superman back into the hole. Superman lands in the sewer system and Doomsday is on him anew, holding Superman in a headlock. Superman flips Doomsday off his back and drop kicks him down into the tunnel out of sight. Then we hear a high-pitched shriek sounding. Superman winces, the sound filling his head. The shriek fades, and we hear tapping as if on a microphone. And, it, is this thing on? <laughs> Hello, blue boy. It's your better Luthor, speaking to you from a frequency that only super hearing can detect. Lex looks out upon the prematurely darkened metropolis from his office, a microphone in his hand. Things don't look too good for you, alien. It seems I've finally found your Achilles heel, the Earth's yellow sun. Superman enters the sewer drop-off drain cautiously. Without it, you're not that impressive. Look at you, alone, beaten, nearly broken. Where are all the good people you've put your neck on the line so many times for? You'd think they'd return the favor. Then Doomsday drops from the ceiling, crushing the Man of Steel. They fight through the current. Heading toward the drop-off, Superman pulls himself from D-Day's grasp, but Doomsday double-fists the floor, shaking the ceiling loose, which comes down around Superman, pinning him. Doomsday winds up and gives Superman a right hook, sending him falling into the churning muck below. Superman explodes from the sewage, howling up at Doomsday in a flash. Catching him with his fist, the pair shoot through the pavement, pavement, Spraying debris everywhere, Superman goes ballistic, racing at the beast anew, pummeling him, but Doomsday rallies back, throwing punches that actually draw blood. The man is still drops to his knees, Lex's voice still filling his head. You'd think all the solar energy that you stored would last longer, wouldn't you? I mean, you fly at night, there's no sun then, why are you, why are you weakening now? Apparently, soaring through the sky, catching muggers, and rustling the occasional cat burglar doesn't take the effort it's taking you to hold on hold your own against a mindless wonder there any stored solar energy you may have is being exhausted plainly put you're running out of gas and the pumps are closed doomsday leaps atop superman beating him down savagely superman is running out of time meanwhile in the antarctic the snow is almost blinding even in the darkness we pan across the tundra and drop into a large canyon buried deep in the snow. We see the Fortress of Solitude, Superman's home away from home. Outside the massive doors stand two statue-like polar bears. Amongst various trophies and keepsakes hangs a rocket, an escape craft that brought Superman to Earth all those years ago. In the cabin, electrical pulses start to ignite. A screen forms, igniting with a series of random numbers and Kryptonian letters until they form the S insignia. The torn S insignia on Superman's chest dripping with blood, Superman gives it his all against the mindless doomsday, the voice of Lex still filling his head. 
I really just called to tell you that your reign is over. You're being replaced. In this city, the world is about to fall on its knees before LexCorp and its CEO. We hear Superman's heartbeat, and it's not that strong. Back in the Antarctic... Man, this is a lot of reading. <laughs> Back in the Antarctic... Tried to warn you. <laughs> the heartbeat faintly, faintly echoes through the cabin. The S on the screen gives way to a vital signs graph, including a heart rate monitor. All the signs are dangerously low, as indicated by the readout. The body on the rocket dislodges from the ceiling, falling to the snow. It begins transforming, growing a body. In Metropolis, Superday and Doomsday go at it, both weakening, but it's clear Superman's the worse off. Lois pushes through the crowd, followed by Jimmy. Her eyes go wide. Clark! Go! Fly away! Get out of here before that thing kills you! His power diminished, the Man of Steel is on the ropes. His lethal opponent, too, appears to be reaching for the grave. But neither relents, and even now Superman has Lex's voice in his head. You had no business here from the start, Kryptonian, but here you'll die. Superman gives a quick, pained glance at Lois, whose eyes are filled with tears. He manages a final weak smile, as if to say goodbye. I just wanted you to know who it was that beat you, boy. Lois smiles through her tears as well until she realizes what it means. No! And the pair throw their last punches, connecting with one another's heads. The shock of the mortal blows explode like a sonic boom through Metropolis. We see Lois wide-eyed. We see Jimmy, who stops snapping photos and looks up. We see Lex, who stares down at the tiny spectacle from high above, smiling. And in that moment, that seems like an eternity, the two mighty combatants fall to the ground. In the fortress, the Eradicator comes online. He stands erect, taking in his surroundings. He moves to a nearby computer and hooks into it. A map of the world fills the screen. We digitally race through the land in Metropolis, paralyzed. Then the crowd starts to move. News crews and military personnel converge, crowding the, crowding around the fallen Superman. Lois fights her way through the masses, dropping to her knees beside the fallen Man of Steel. She lifts his head from the rumble, from the rubble, <laughs> cradling it. He opens his eyes, partially muck, filth, and blood obscuring his vision and suit. Is, is it? You did it, Clark. Yeah. You did it. Lois. He goes limp. Lois breaks down. The crowd is in shock. Superman is dead. In the skull ship... Throw out a wave pulse net. My calculations are correct. The technology will be coming online soon. At the fortress, the Eradicator stares up at the mapping system with a flashing red light indicating the fallen Superman's location. Metropolis... Back I'm not doing Christopher Walken. I'm sorry. I'm not doing Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been funnier if it was Back a longer in- line, but I had to give it a shot. Okay, let me let me do it again, then you can go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Metropolis. Back at the skull ship. So far, nothing, my liege. Patience, Elrond. He'll come. In the fortress, the mapping on the screen transposes and rises above Metropolis. Landing on a diagram of the skull ship. Over the image flashes the message Predator Detected. Brainiac? Here? The image disappears, replaced with activating cloaking device. The eradicator then concentrates on the map. Now, how to get Kalel without being detected? Or get Kalel 
to me. The Eradicator types at the computer he's hooked into. The screen begins filling with numbers, letters, and an array of binary codes. A signal beeps on the Skull Ship's control board. Brainiac punches a button anxiously, only to be greeted by Lex's face on the view screen. What are you waiting for? Phase 2. If this is going to work, we have to move. Phase 2 now. Brainiac scowls at the screen and switches off. Insolent hunk of meat. Animate the carcass. In Metropolis, we see Doomsday's eyes snap open. The creature stirs, then sits bolt upright, growling. The crowd begins screaming. The tearful Lois looks up from her fallen lover to see Doomsday moving. In the skull ship, Elron enters codes and presses buttons, animating Doomsday's corpse, which we see on the view screen. <laughs> Finish this mess so we can find the technology. Elron hits a button from the bow, from the bow, excuse me, from the bow, red beam emits, cutting through space. The red beam strikes the animated dead body of Doomsday, incinerating it. People leap out of the way as Doomsday explodes. The next day, the city is dark, both in morning and in lack of sun. On the, city, on the streets below, artificial light is cast from high-powered LexCorp Kleegs. Kleegs. It's, a, it's the same... It's the same straight down the avenue. LexCorp lights everywhere. A horse-drawn carriage in the midst of which is a casket. It open, Its open top reveals Superman. Eyes closed, peaceful. His cape hangs over the lid. Cat Grant addresses her camera lens, flanked by Lois. Cat Grant here, bringing you WGBS's continuing coverage of what the president has called the world's darkest hour. Offering her perspective on this sadly historic day is Daily Planet reporter Lois Lane, whose name is synonymous with the Man of Steels. While we here in Metropolis say goodbye to a friend, around the globe, crisis management teams are working tirelessly to counter the effects of the eclipse. Financial analysts have predicted that LexCorp will make billions from around the globe as the sole supplier of available energy. The burial monument commissioned by Lex Luthor himself, strikes this reporter as being built in a remarkable expedient fashion. When questioned on this, Luthor responded evasively, We had our differences, but a man such as this deserves an equal memorial. Lois, perhaps the greatest memorial to his efforts is that so far, zero casualties have been reported from the citywide battle. Although my... my colleague... Clark Kent is still missing, presumably killed during the fallout from the battle. Rescue teams have been sifting through the rubble, but so far there's no sign of of him. More on that story tonight, but right now the procession has reached the tomb. The carriage stops, and the priest says a blessing over the Man of Steel's body, closing the casket lid. But before it closes, we get a glimpse of two small blinking lights attached to his suit. In the skull ship, on the view screen, an outline of Superman's body has the same corresponding blinking red lights. Elrond notes this. The security measures on both the suit and the tomb have been activated. If anything attempts to remove his body, and that's a big if... There are no ifs, Elrond. The Eradicator is here, I know it. And who, might I ask, is opening for my liege in Vegas this week at... Does that even mean... <laughs> How does Elrond know what Vegas is? (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I was when I was reading through this before. I was like, "What? <laughs> what is happening here?" Bra- it, it says <laughs> Brainiac has on a, a costume that I guess is supposed to be flashy, oh. and so he's he's reacting to his costume. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's 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 wearing very gaudy faux Kryptonian clothing. Yeah. You want to read that again? Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Uh, And who, might I ask, is opening for my liege in Vegas this weekend? Mm, Humor. (laughs) (laughs) Thor's idea of what a Kryptonian should look like alone marks him for execution. Something we should act on now. I have further use for Lex Luthor. Until such time as we have the Eradicator, I will feed off LexCorp's energy supplies to maintain my form. Once we have the technology of Jor-El, you may kill Lex Luthor. Now prepare my skiff. For the crowd that can't get near the tomb, the burial is broadcast on the WGBS building giant screen TV. Then the image of the funeral is interrupted by a familiar symbol, the bat signal. It gives way to a shadowy image of the dark night deep within the bat cave. Good evening, Metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping everyone saw it coming. <laughs> Good evening, Metropolis. It is with heavy heart that I offer you my and Gotham's deepest condolences. I apologize for my absence, but with the loss of the sun. I am all that opposes the criminal element in my city, who have seized upon the cover of darkness to further their evil purposes. The guardian of your city, of the world, held Metropolis and its inhabitants very near to his heart. It's been said that he fought a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Honor this fallen soldier well by keeping his memory alive in the face of this adversity. From this day forward, we forever shoulder the burden of a world without Superman. On the giant screen, the Dark Knight withdraws further into th- further back into the shadows until he's completely unseen. The bat signal comes up again and then scrambles into the image of the funeral below. But suddenly, over the top of the giant screen, a hover skiff rises, sending the crowd below into a panic. Aboard the cr- craft is Brainiac now decked out in alien garb, replete with face-obscuring helmet, and Lex with an arm draped over Brainiac's shoulder. Lex jumps to the podium microphone. People of Metropolis, this is a great day in our planet's history. Today you will learn of a secret too long kept by myself and Superman. Superman's job was not to protect our city, but instead to pave the way for an amazing new era in this planet's history. Cat moves closer to Lois, whispering. Has the old man finally lost it? I think it's worse than that. Over the last two years, Superman and I have been working closely to prepare this world for its introduction to more extraterrestrials like himself. And like the being I now present to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the true power behind our fallen man of steel, Brainiac. Urged by Lex, Brainiac approaches the podium as a hush falls over the crowd. Today marks a terrible day for our planet Krypton. Superman, as you called him, was a herald of the highest order. 
having gone before me to many planets, preparing them for my first contact. If he's going... No, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Preparing them for second contact, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I stand before you now in the spirit of hope and peace. A cheer goes up from the crowd. Brainiac looks out upon the thrall, emotionless. Lex pats him on the back, whispering in his ear, Keep it up, they're buying it. His true mission was kept secret from you to protect you until you were ready to accept aliens into your world. Sorrowfully, my herald gave his life fighting a foul menace, weakening the beast so that I was able to vaporize it with the power of my ship from above. The creature was from a race of warmongers that have designated this planet for annihilation. But in concert with Superman and Lex Luthor, I have been able to blanket your planet in darkness to protect you from the approaching hordes. Lois goes bug-eyed, her journalistic instincts kicking in. She charges the podium, fighting off LexCorp security. What is he talking talking about? Is he saying that you two, what, blocked out the sun? Miss Lane, let the deity speak. Using materials provided by Lex Luthor and my own advanced technology, I fashioned a device to enshroud the planet in a darkness that will provide camouflage. From what? from them. Suddenly the dark skies above shimmer and an armada of ships can be seen moving slowly through space, patrolling with the multitude of spacecraft visible it would appear that Earth is under attack. Do not fear. We are not visible to this armada. The forced eclipse that darkens the skies is what keeps us hidden. The menace above cannot detect your world and will slowly pass through your galaxy within days. Once they have moved on, I will end the eclipse and bring back the sun. Until that time, LexCorp Energy will fuel the planet and LexCorp Industrial Services will keep the world operating smoothly as if the sun never left. The crowd slowly breaks into applause. Lex smiles, joining hands with Brainiac and raising them into the air. Brainiac seems to be confused by this, but goes along with it. His attention is more focused on the tomb, surrounded by people. Brainiac cannot see it. At the fortress, the Eradicator stops typing at the computer. He presses Enter. The numbers on the screen reconfigure, forming Superman's S insignia. It glows red. Back in Metropolis, inside the casket, the S on Superman's chest also begins to glow red. Superman's body begins shimmering and teleports, Trek-style, out of sight, <laughs> leaving behind his suit on which the security measures still blink. Lex urges Brainiac to further address the crowd. Like Superman, I will endeavor to protect Earth and its inhabitants. It is the least I can do in return for your warm, warm welcome. And in memory of Superman. Brainiac raises his arms like Nixon. The crowd goes wild. Luther leads the crowd in a rallying cry of cheers for Earth's greatest hero, Brainiac. And Cat Grant rushes the podium to get an interview with the heroic pair. Lois stares at them both coldly and at a loss. Amid the thrall of support for Brainiac. Fade to black. I think that's a good place to stop. I agree. All right.
This is fun. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us. We did. This is basically the first half of the movie. We'll do the second half of the movie on another episode. And I'm going to go ahead and stop it right there because as we go, like I said, this episode was recorded over a year ago. So as we get into the promotion aspect of the show where everybody uh, says goodbye and tells you where they can, where you can find them online, uh, we plugged a couple of blogs and a couple of shows that are not really in production anymore. So I don't want to advertise things that aren't out there. I will let you know that Shane and Virginia can be found on Wait You've Never Seen, which is available right here on the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. Scott Madison is the host of The Prime Direction, which can also be found right here on the network. And John Irons uh, is the host of Captain Game Show, which, by the way, can be found here on CosmicPotato.com. And then Rick has a network, the Infinite Diversity Podcast Network, where he does several shows over on that side. Um, You can find him at... uh, he has a Facebook page. Go to his Facebook page. Just uh, go to Facebook and search for Infinite Diversity or Infinite Diversity Podcast, and you'll find it. That's pretty much going to do it for this week. Make sure you come back in two weeks, and you'll hear the conclusion to Superman Lives. And I'm not. I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a giant spider. So there, you got that to look forward to. All right, guys. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Be sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can contact us by email at mail at cosmicpotato.com or send us a voicemail or text message to 205-642-8380. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you for joining us for Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast.